0: Good, good. Well, let's get into some Word today. What do you say? If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and and open that up. Get that out. Get your phones out. Or, you know, turn off the cell signal and get your phone out. (laughs) To avoid distraction. I've been teaching a series uh, uh, called The Real God. And in this series, we are endeavoring to accurately define and describe the way God really is, because we all have issues or beliefs or, uh, you know, ingrained ways of thinking that, that didn't necessarily come from Him or from His Word, and so we're trying to identify and root out those wrong beliefs because they hinder our relationship, they hinder our fellowship with God. If any time we find something that we believe that is incorrect or contradicts the written word, how many know we shouldn't, in pride, hold on to our beliefs? We should, with humility, let go and say, thank you for showing me who you really are. And it's that that heart that is able to grow and learn and walk closer with God. That's what we really seek. Our, our, Our text has been Psalm 34, 8. Let's read that up on the screen together. Say it out loud with me. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. And so, the goodness of God has been one of my primary emphases in this, in this series. Um, he is good, and He's not to blame for so many of the evil things that take place. Uh, and how many know God is good, and even if someone decides to reject him, it doesn't change the fact that he's good? Uh, how many know uh, if someone went on your business's you know, social media or something and gave you a negative review? That doesn't mean it's true, right? Just like people can do that wrong and, and try to influence others away from your business and uh, they do that to God all day long. Try to influence others away. He is good, but some people reject goodness. They do. I mean, it's illogical. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you? Why would you run from Him? That's dumb. Yeah. You know, double dumb. <laughs> and then you're you're giving Him one star. <laughs> you're being dishonest now. Yeah. But yet that it that does exist. And so God is who he is, and not everyone is going to yield to him. Not everybody wants him, but I tell you, it, it pays rich dividends when we give ourselves to him and, and discover and taste for ourselves or experience for ourselves firsthand that he is so good. Now, one of the reasons why this subject needs discussed is because many things that happen in the earth are blatantly not good. Many things people have experienced are the opposite of good. They're horrific. And so sometimes people have a challenge balancing those two concepts that God is good and yet life sometimes is difficult and there are many evils that take place in in the world. But most of the negative events that take place on earth today can be tied to this cause, it is called the law of sin and death. All right? The law of sin and death. That's what uh, allows it. That's what promotes it. That's what, uh, that's what is the reason behind a lot of uh, suffering and, and all these types of things. Now, consider that, that laws exist in the kingdom of God just like they exist in the physical world. We understand physical laws, but many people are unaware of spiritual laws. And they're no less real. They exist. We're living in them, but our ignorance of them sometimes keeps us from taking advantage of what they can do for us. All right. Jesus continually taught in his ministry about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And he would say, it's like this, it's like this, this is how it functions, this is how it works. And he was endeavoring to explain to a physical audience who was aware to some degree of the physical laws, how spiritual principles and laws work. And if they would adapt that mentality, they could take advantage of what God had to offer. But because these things are unseen, many live oblivious to them. And they live as if they're not even there, but yet they're having an impact on their lives. And so we want to be in the know. We want to be knowledgeable of these realities. How many know sin has consequences built into it? All right. Uh, Certain behaviors bring certain negative consequences. By the way, that happens independent of God needing to be actively involved in causing those consequences. He's not. He doesn't want them, but they are they they those consequences exist in that realm. Uh, think of it this way, there's light and there's darkness. There's righteousness and holiness and the ways of God there's the contrast to that, which would be ungodliness and selfishness and sinfulness and wickedness and, and anything, a lot of things you could put in that, in that category. They just, they're just not the same, all right? So even if you have a, a believer, someone who's genuinely saved, but yet they are living in the dark side, right? Right? <laughs> They have the mentality of a sinner. They have the actions of ungodliness. They just live their lives uh, in the wrong category. Now, well, that's going to cost them. All right. Doesn't mean they're not truly saved. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. But you're operating over here in the law of sin and death, and that's going to be painful at times. All right. Doesn't mean God did it. Doesn't mean He's actively involved in 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 bringing uh, pain and suffering. No, but we're just over there, and that's where that stuff happens. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Get, all, get away from there. Yeah. If, remember in the old days, there used to be smoking sections in the restaurant? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't want to smell like smoke, stay out of the smoking section. Right? right? And sometimes it would bleed over, I understand. But, yeah. 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 <laughs> but stay, stay over here, and then, you know, there are restaurants now. I won't name them for I won't, so I won't do their business damage. But, but you go there and when you leave you smell like their restaurant the rest of the day. It's like change your grease. <laughs> it's like everyone's like your new cologne is that smells like a something. <laughs> Why? Cuz you're in the wrong atmosphere and that's going to have an effect on you. Okay? And so uh, is, is there a way out of this? Is there a way, let me qualify this, the law of sin and death that brings destruction, that kills people, that brings suffering and pain and disrupts families, and, is there a way out of that? Can we avoid that law? Can we avoid the effects of sin and death? We absolutely can, all right? Turn with me, if you would, I didn't tell you yet, to go to Romans chapter 8. You may. Some of you probably already recognize that this is the language I'm using uh, in Romans chapter eight and, and the second verse. Romans eight verse two. Say amen if you have it. Amen. Say oh me if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> waiting, waiting. Time's up. Verse two. Romans eight verse two. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. All right, so does the law of sin and death still exist? Is it present? Absolutely. This is why we need the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus to make us free. If I don't know that sin and death is a law, if I don't know that life in Christ is a law, well, I'm I'm not going to be able to function very well in the kingdom. And I'll be subject if I know if I know that the law of sin and death is real and it's eating my lunch, and I know that the law of of life in Christ is there to deliver me and set me free and give me an advantage. But I don't utilize it; it, I'm still going to suffer as a result. And by the way, none of that is God actively causing harm to me. None of that. It's just He already made a way. This is where God's goodness is revealed. He prepared and made available the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus so that we could take advantage of it. Think about it in terms of, of physical laws. Um, we know that gravity is a good thing. It holds us on the ground, right? Uh, we also know that it can be overcome. I can't turn it off. I can't remove gra- gravity. I don't, haven't found that button yet. But, but I can overcome gravity, all right, we do that. Airplanes do that all the time. All right, if you know anything about uh, the laws of uh, the, you know, the forces that govern flight, you know, there's lift and thrust, and they counter weight and drag. Those four forces are at, at, at in operation. So weight doesn't go away, drag doesn't stop functioning, but with lift that lifts the wings, you know, and and thrust. That's your props and your jets and so forth, you are going to overcome those other forces that are holding you back and down, okay? Uh, Now, again, what determines whether someone is going to be on the ground or in the air? It is their usage of the various laws that govern uh, that system, okay? We can say, Lord, why are you keeping me down here? Why am I always on the ground? Well, you could get in an airplane, learn to fly it, or hire someone else to fly it for you, right? And you can overcome uh, your earth-boundness, being bound to this earth. In, in similar, similar fashion, um, we have to apply the laws of life to counter the laws of death. We have to know what they are, that they exist, but we must apply them, and then we can, uh, you know, live in victory. Someone might say, "Well, uh, can a Christian then apply the laws of the Spirit of Life in Christ Jesus, and can they sin without consequence?" Because. They sin, and we apply life and get free from the consequence of sin. I mean, salvation is that in effect, right? I'm not going to suffer for eternity with what I deserve. I'm being blessed with a gift called eternal life. That's called getting out, getting out of the consequences. But then we think about practical life, and sometimes people are asking the question, can a, can a Christian sin and not suffer as a result of it, bear the consequence? And, and I think about that question, though, it's a little bit annoying because if you are a believer and you are looking for a way to sin and get away with it, I'm questioning your salvation. Now I'm not in charge of it, but just secretly I'm judging. <laughs> I'm wondering. <laughs> I'm saying, Lord, what's going on here? When someone is trying to say, I'm a believer, I come and lift my hands to the Lord and then looking to live an alternate lifestyle and, and just go the opposite ways of God and they're trying to get away with it and, and uh, I don't know if you're saved. If I say for sure if that's your mentality. You need a come to Jesus moment. All right, because that's not the way a, 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 a true child of God thinks. I know we all get tempted but, you know, we're tempted. Even if we fail, we're always running back to the Lord. And, and our desire is not to seek a way out of this, uh, a way to, you know, just avoid consequences. I want to avoid the action. Is everybody with me? I mean, that's our, that's our heart. It's why we pray. It's why we seek after the Lord, is we want to live like Him, too. And so, uh, you know, can we, can we do this? Well, we can avoid divine judgment by applying the law of life, the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness that, that he offered. Absolutely, uh, we can do that. And if you came out of a, you know, a life of crime and you've got a sentence to serve, a, you know, a fine to pay, I would 100% be saying, call on the name of the Lord and ask him for mercy and favor and grace with the legal system. And, and I've seen the Lord turn things around for people that deserve punishment in that way. However, my my freedom from sin and, you know, repercussion with God does not always equal that I will get off the hook from the consequences of wrong behaviors in this life. It's not, I can be forgiven easily because of the finished work of the cross, the blood of Jesus, God's mercy is there. But how many know if I'm going to rob people or be a thief, I'm going to steal, the Lord Maybe with me. <laughs> not in that action, but you know, he's with me. And the Lord forgives me, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to jail. Right? I may still have to pay a fine. It's built into the wrongdoing. Yeah? If, if someone, uh, if a husband or wife commits adultery, okay, can they be forgiven of that sin? Sure. Does that take a long time? You're, you're kind of quiet on this. And eh, the well, Lord might make them wait on that one. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, with a sincere heart. I'm not talking about pulling one over on God. You can never do that. But can forgiveness be received quickly? Yes, 100%. That doesn't mean it's not going to mess up your relationship, though. That doesn't mean that it won't have consequences built in. And, and being saved or being with the Lord, having a relationship with God, does not remove that. Okay, so so, so when we talk about uh, about these things, um, well, let me let me say let me move on to this, and then I'll come come back around to that. Judgment for the Christian looks different than the judgment of people outside of Christ, or many of the judgments of the old covenant. For the believer, judgment looks like uh, uh, child training or. Uh, the, well, the, the word in First, Corinthians, let me just read this. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-two 32 re- reads this way. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. See, this is the understanding I need to have of my God towards me is judgment towards me is, does not look like judgment towards an unbeliever. Because when I am judged, I am chastened, all right? Judged equals, for us, chastening so that there won't be condemnation as if I'm not in Christ or if, as if I'm in the world. Chastening is a word, the Greek word means to train up a child. So the Lord, if I say the Lord is chastening me, yes, he's training you up as one of his own kids, so to understand what that may look like, practically, we can use our natural families. A godly mom and dad are never going to inflict a, you know, a wound on their child in their training, in training them. They may, give, they may give you know the rod of correction on the rear end. That's a sting. They're not going to break their arm. If they had the ability, they're not going to break their... You know, they're not going to give a disease to them or something. We would never do that to our kids. God would never do that to us. All right. He's, he's not going to cause a car accident. Well, the Lord's just chastening me. No, you're missing. That, that's not, that's not, how, that, not, not how that works. One thing we can know with the Lord, he is not going to afflict us with that with which Jesus was afflicted on the cross. If Jesus became sin, became a curse, took all of that for us, judgment for the believer is not going to include the same thing. Right? In other words, Jesus was judged on our behalf so that all that stuff bypasses us. Right? Okay, so, uh, I should never entertain the notion that if You know, if I'm hit with some kind of some part of the curse, we're talking disease or mental problems or, you know, or poverty, all that kind of stuff, all the curse, if I'm hit with that, I should never think, oh, this is the Lord teaching me, the Lord training me, the Lord's judgment on my life. That is 100% a lie of the devil. That is not how God works. But the enemy likes to do that and then blame God. Why? Because it puts a wedge between us and the Father and then we start questioning this whole goodness of God thing again. Right? Much of that, like I said at the beginning, much of that that takes place isn't even necessarily demonically enforced, but it is a result of the law of sin and death that's in the earth. How do I deal with that? By applying the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I need to know the principles of the kingdom, the laws of the kingdom, how they work, so that when death comes to my doorstep, I can, I can push back with life. Yeah, I can use the rights of my covenant, just to give a brief explanation. I can use the promises of God, the name of Jesus. I can bind and loose. I, I can use the things that Jesus put in my possession to push back against the powers of darkness that come against my life, whether it's demonic or just the, the effects of sin in the earth. I can use the laws, and I can fly. I can overcome, weight and drag, and get up in the air. Okay? Now, lots of people are stuck on the ground. Lots of Christians are stuck on the ground in the law of sin and death. They don't know. Just like for many years, thousands of years, people didn't know the the rules that govern flight. Even though you could see birds doing it and, and so forth, people didn't know, hey, we could do that too. We could build ourselves some machines, <laughs> and we can also get up in the air. Was it available? I mean, did God invent the the the? Did God invent flying back with you know like the Wright brothers? No, those rules already existed, but they were revealed. They were made known that they could do that, and now many of us uh, take advantage of this, and many of us sit for hours and hours in airports. <laughs> oh, that's a side knot. That's, a, that's not my main point. That's the law of sin and death again. <laughs> uh, praise God. And so we overcome then these, let me, let, me, let, me, let me bring this to you. Our overcoming of the law of sin and death is not limited to overcoming the consequences of sin and death. It's not limited to just overcoming bad health and financial lack and mental oppression and all those things, lack of wisdom. It's not just that, but also overcoming the sin itself, all right? One of the main areas of struggle for people in this life is bad habits, sinful habits, uh, and they they, they believe that they can't do anything about it. They say, I can't stop. I keep doing this. I've been this way for years. I keep doing these things. Breaking free from the law of sin and death means you have control over it. You have power to do what you want to do. All right. Um, Listen to these two verses from the book of Romans, the sixth chapter. Romans 6, 6 reads this way. Knowing this, that our old man. Now, let me know that's not your dad. That's all right was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Everybody say, I am, I am no, longer no longer a slave, slave of sin. Yeah, so we can, that's true, but we have to think that way and speak that way. That's applying the law of the spirit of life. When someone says, I can't help myself, I can't control myself. I can't stop. Can't stop drinking this, smoking this, looking at this. I can't stop being angry. I can't stop doing these things. And, and, they, and they think that way about themselves. And then they say that about themselves. What they're doing is subjecting themselves under something that the Lord set them free from. See, he gave you lift and thrust. You just have to use it. You can say, wait and drag, wait and drag. This weight, it's such a drag. Uh, and I can't stop. I can't stop. Okay, we got to alter that and operate in the king, kingdom principles. There are laws that govern, just like the physical laws, there are spiritual laws that govern this. All right, in the 14th verse, he went on to say, For, the, the, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Okay, so that's the verbiage of the, of the law of life. Sin does not rule me. It does not dominate me. I am in charge. I am in control. I have the Spirit of God in me. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. I am not ruled. I do not have to do what I used to do. I can do whatever I want to do. And then you would only be saying that as if you're truly wanting to live for God and and to live His ways, all right? Now, if that's a new thought to you, you might want to just say it like a thousand times. I don't Because how long have you been saying the opposite? How long have you been thinking opposite? Well, we've got to d- dig that thing up, root it out, and replace it with the life of God so that starts functioning in us. Now, because of the cross of Christ, all right, the disposition of God in this dispensation is one of mercy. Everybody understand that? He... Now, it's not that he became merciful when Jesus came. He's always been merciful. But Jesus' death and resurrection gave him the legal means to be merciful to our unrighteousness, to withhold judgment, to give us space to repent and to get right with him, all right? And so because of that, uh, he's looking to show mercy to us all the time. And now unbelievers... They are already basically under judgment. Jesus said in John chapter three that those who don't believe are already condemned. They live in condemnation. They live under that that judgment. But watch, that doesn't mean that God's not still dealing with them. But how many know God is not dealing with an unbeliever about all their sins? Because it doesn't matter if they stop doing something bad, they're still an unbeliever, right? What he's dealing with them about is Jesus, and their acceptance of the Savior. He's tugging on them so they'll come fall after him so they don't have to remain under condemnation. They don't have to remain already already judged in that regard. And so the, the full recompense for sin doesn't come till after death, but the Lord is working on people so they never get there. I'm not going to that judgment seat. That, that, that what's called the, the great white throne judgment. I'm not going there. Right? Why? Because I've escaped through the the sacrifice of God's son. Now, there is still the issue even though this is how God deals with believers, there's the issue of uh, there's the issue of those that defile God's temple. All right? Th- this is an interesting verse. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and you might want to notice it for yourself and read the whole chapter and the chapters before later. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 17. It reads, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Okay, now now think about it. The language of temple uh, goes back to the old covenant temple, they had the... So there's all, all the rules about how worship would take place and the sacrifices. And there were rules that would keep people from defiling what God said was holy. Now, in the new covenant, God no longer li- lives in buildings made with hands, but he takes up residence within his people. All right, And now we become the temple of the living God, temple of the spirit of God. Now, what we, meaning us individually, and we, us corporately. OK, there's a there's a different manifestation of God when believers get together. Remember, Jesus said, when two or three are gathered there in my name, I'm there in the midst. Wasn't he with them individually? Yes. But now he's with them in a different way because it's corporate. OK, and we are the temple of God. And so here, here's what the scripture is saying. It's, it seems like, God, why, why, why do you do this? Why, why does it say this? But if you defile the temple of God, God will destroy him. What are you doing? Do, what are you doing on the destroying side of this? And if you think about it, uh, first of all, how can it be defiled? It can be defiled through corrupt and inaccurate and wrong teaching. All right, It can be defiled, meaning the church of God can be defiled through, um, through wrong morals, leading people into moral decay and, and sinfulness. But this is a very serious issue with God. And uh, in order to protect the church... There are times when God has to put a stop to someone else that would destroy it. Now, sometimes with with people, with leaders who have influence and they're doing the wrong thing, God will remove people from their position of influence. Why? Because he doesn't love them? No, but because he loves the church. All right. And he still loves that person who has to be removed, but he's going to protect people from them. Right? That's God in His love. And sometimes there's not a choice. We can't let everybody do what they want to do if some of the things that some people want to do is destroy everybody else, is defile everything else. We have to stand in the way of it. If, if someone came to my home to do harm to my family, I would do what it took to put a stop to it. I would do whatever I could. And what? I have no desire to hurt people. I don't. I don't want to hurt anyone. I don't want to do anyone any damage. I want everyone to be loved and and forgiven. And, you know, I don't want to hurt anyone. But if you come after my family, I will sacrifice what I want to do to protect them. I will hurt you. Now, that doesn't mean the first ugly word you say, I'm pulling out guns. (laughs) It is commensurate with the attacked, right? We're not going to be those who are quick to to fight. What, how dare you say that to my wife? Come on, (laughs) grow up. Let people be be fools and let them do their own thing. We're not have to defend their honor and, you know, that kind of fleshly stuff. Now, we're not brawlers in in Christ, right? We have the love of God. But if someone's really going to do harm, no, I'm going to stand up for. I'm going to stand up and not, I'm going to do whatever I can to not allow that. Is that a godly uh, characteristic? I think it is, and that's what I, I do. I do see that in, in in God that when people attack His people, He takes it personally. All right, and we belong to Him, and so I think it's foolish, really, for anyone to attack God's people especially when they attack the church. And this happens today. I think, dude, you're on dangerous ground. I mean, if you don't like something, go away. Do not attack. Because do you know what you're doing? You know how, how much uh, the Lord loves his bride? <laughs> you know how much the Lord loves his people and you want to attack it? I would say for your own well-being, don't. Yeah, yeah. Just stay away from that. And uh, again, you mess with my kids, you've got to deal with me. And I'm much less scary than God. (laughs) And watch. Say, well, what kind of comparison is that? God is love. I mean, I want to be a loving, and I think I am a loving person. He far exceeds. You don't hear what I'm saying? And so his love for us will determine sometimes if this one is attacking this one, if this one is attacking my people, then he's going to get in the middle of it and sometimes have to stop it. I think we can see some of that in, in, in this verse. One example of this is, it's kind of a rare New Testament story. You don't see this a lot, but it is with King Herod in Acts chapter 12. King Herod of, of Rome was a wicked dude, okay, okay? And let me just read to you. We'll put it up what it says about King Herod in Acts chapter 12 and uh, verse 21. Uh, So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. So how many would rather not go that way? <laughs> so when the worship team says, lift your hand and give God praise. Okay. <laughs> not exactly apples to apples, but I'm going to praise him just in case. <laughs> but, but, but think about it. And if we read that and think, that's kind of weird. That seems kind of harsh. I mean, people were praising him as God, and that's wrong, and he didn't give glory. That's certainly wrong, but he, the angel knocked, struck him down. Okay? If you know the character and nature of God, which many of us do, he's good. Do you think this is the first time this kind of stuff happened? Herod is the one who beheaded John the Baptist. All right? He, he killed James, brother of John, with a sword. This same Herod is the one who tried to kill Peter. And when Peter was imprisoned and then the, the angel got him out, Herod had all the guards killed. This is no nice fella. <laughs> he was evil. And what I see in this is another example of God's mercy. Watch. First towards Herod. Time, 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 time. He's wicked, doing wrong, doing wrong, giving him time to get things right, giving him time to to repent, to repent, you know, space to repent. And I think this was the final straw. Now he's standing up there taking glory as if he's God himself. And he still won't yield. He still won't humble himself. He still won't, won't repent. And this was the last chance. He keeps offending these little ones that the Lord Jesus said was a serious issue. And now you're done. Why? Well, for all the people you keep harming. And now leading all these people astray, they're, they're worshiping you as God. And the Lord says, yeah, yeah, we're done with that. You've had a long time, and now you're affecting a whole lot of people. They're worshiping you instead of me. Their lives will be destroyed. They'll end up in hell as a result of you. You're going down. We have to take action and remove this person. And so this is, uh, I, I think, again, another example, not that God is a meanie, but just the opposite. But he is love, he's merciful, and he will protect his own. And if you're on the side of the Lord, I am. This is encouraging to me. Because I'm not ever going to do this. I'm not going to play the fool like Herod. And if I ever do something stupid, I'm running back to the Lord. Right? Have mercy on me. Uh, right? Not going to harden my heart. We run back to him. He's for us. He's not against us. He is a good, good God. Amen. 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 Father, thank you for working in here today. Showing us your way.